One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Nile or Nine podcast. It's Niall here and I'm joined by Andrea Cleary. Hello. How are we doing? I'm very well. How are you? How are you doing, listener? How are I you doing, doing listener? Well. Yeah, we never ask them. <laughs> <laughs> they never tell us, that's why. That's true. Um, <laughs> welcome along to the Nile Nine podcast this week. Uh, on this week's episode, we are going to be discussing the new album from Beirut. Uh, we'll have tracks of the week from the likes of Lizzo and uh, Soleil, among others. And we're going to be talking about some festivals and awards. Sports. And some sports. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, uh, well, I guess we'll start with the festivals. We've had not our first festival casually of the season, I guess. Uh, does Fire Festival count? I mean, that's like been ongoing ever since. it. it the ultimate casualty. Since the documentary. But um, yeah, like Fire Festival actually uh, is still a, a going concern because of the guy Andy King who's oh, uh yeah. who said he would suck someone's uh uh, if there's any kids around, I'm just going to say Johnson. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's the 1920s. Johnson. Um, so he's apparently such a big hit now that he uh, has been offered some TV shows. Has he? Yeah. Um, so Netflix did a little like, video with him last week uh, where they interviewed him, which we kind of referenced because he says Mimi instead of meme. Yeah. Um, but he, does, he, does, he isn't on the internet, so he doesn't know anything about it. He's um, quite charming in that video, actually. Yeah, he is. Um, so this is what he says. Uh, he's had three TV show offers. That was this week, last week when he said this. I've had three three TV show offers this week from notable networks. In the old world of TV, it was a Carol Burnett show and these fun, light-hearted shows that weren't all crime-related. <laughs> People love Flip or Flop or Fixer Upper. Let's just say it's going to be a show about hosting crazy events, what it takes to make them happen. There will be cliffhangers. And you get to follow me around and see how I pull them off. He's adorable. Well, he got he got away from the first time he tried to pull something off, so that was good. Um, <laughs> but I'm <t> <laughs> you're not going to see me launching a handbag line or makeup. He says, uh, but he's going to have a little fun with his 15 minutes of fame. Apparently, mm, okay. I, I like that he's self aware with this. That he's, he's already like heard from three different water companies. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Andy King is the uh, the person uh, who seems to be coming out of Firefest with a, a greater reputation, an, an actual reputation. Yeah. Uh, never mind a greater one. Uh, I wonder how that guy is doing, the yoga guy. I wonder has he like set up his own studio or anything? I'm sure there's going to be a, like an after the fire fest <laughs> documentary, like checking where, back in. Where everybody. are they now? Yeah. But in local news, in terms of uh, festivals, uh, there is today it was announced that uh, Caspalooza is not going to return this year after initially announcing its dates for May, the first and I think it's the first week in May, weekend of May it was going to be. Um, the festival said that it is taking a break. Uh, we're taking time out to create a completely new spin on the music festival formula, and we'll be back with a reimagined Caspalooza next year. Um, so this is a festival that's been going for 13 years. Um, it is a small festival. It relies on a lot of uh, new and emerging breaking Irish acts mainly, uh, and then smattered with a bit of uh, maybe international, mostly alternative or dance kind of acts. Uh, in the last few years, it's had the likes of Caribou and Check, 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 and not big, big names. Well, Caribou would be a big name, but uh, not massive names. Generally, mm. the year they had Caribou and Cat Power was the year that Aiken was involved and didn't continue that partnership. That was 2016. I think and this just speaks to the fact that uh, the festival calendar, certainly the festival weekend that uh, Caspalooza was running on, happened in the August bank holiday. Mm. And now, well, even before All Together Now launched last year, there was independent beach yard and um, what am I missing? There was something else on that weekend as well. Mm-hmm. So there was three major festivals on in Ireland in the August bank holiday weekend. And I remember saying this last year when all together now debuted, you're like, Oh, somebody's going to suffer here. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately it seems to be Caspalooza because, um, because they don't rely on big names because it's a small festival in Charleville Castle um, it is uh, something that is harder to get. They are obviously, and also the other thing about um, Caspalooza is they don't have a major promoter behind them. Mm. So they have to do all this, uh, all the independent booking. So that kind of dictates their lineup as well. So it's a sad thing in many ways, but look, this is what happens sometimes with festivals and the festival scene. No festival is supposed to last forever. Mm. Uh, really like, you know, <laughs> Glastonbury is an anom- anomaly We'll be. It will be very surprising if Electric Picnic is still around in twenty years. Yeah. Um. But like we're, these, we're nearly at breaking point with. Yeah. With well, that. Like festivals aren't supposed to last that long, so you know, and sometimes they have to recalibrate. Also, the market has got so different in terms mm. of, uh, like more sophisticated, what people are looking for in their festivals is much more sophisticated in terms of services. I think people offerings. are looking for different. Well, well, yeah, different offerings now because. It's at this stage, it's kind of hard to tell. Apart from the acts that are playing, it's kind of hard to tell festivals apart. You know, yeah. like it's. You kind of have to go to see what it's like and yeah. uh, and it's reputation uh, building as well, in terms of like, for example, Altogether Now started last year, but did it with a lot of uh, big flair and had really good weather. Yeah. And I've definitely been at Casablanca in previous years where the rain has really affected it because it's a small site yeah. built around an old haunted castle, mm-hmm. but there's not a lot of places to go for draining and there's not a lot of cover. So, yeah. When yeah. I was there, we, we were lucky enough with the weather, but. Um, like and and it's it's a beautiful festival. It's a beautiful site to hold a festival. But I can imagine that it would be a bit of a nightmare if if you had one of those washout weekends that do happen. And especially in May, like May would be a strange time because we, you can't really 
you can kind of rely on the August bank holiday weekend for a bit yeah. of sun, but otherwise you're, it's kind of risky if you're outside of July and August, you're kind of risking. Yeah. yeah. And now a week later in, I mean, this might not impact Casablanca directly, but it could do. Um, the a week later, I think, uh, isn't it all to, uh, It takes a village is happening in yeah. East Cork in Trabalgan. That's a festival that takes place in a holiday village. So it doesn't have the weather problem. Mm. Um, and, you know, we live in Ireland. Weather is always going to be an issue, no matter what month it is. Yeah. So having that over your head is always going to be an issue. Um, and it, it can affect how people feel about a festival. Never Absolutely. mind the lineup. Yeah. You know, God. if they've had a bad experience once, even like um, it takes a lot. There's probably like a coefficient that like, if you've had like Body and Soul is a good example, like three years ago, it was so horribly mucky on that day, uh, on the Sunday, that I remember leaving and not being able to walk properly mm. because, but you know, the flip, the the other side of that is because we had such a good time. It didn't really matter. Sure. You know, we were leaving early, but we didn't really want to leave, but it was like horribly mucky. But the, the, the secret of uh, putting on a successful festival is the most uh, deeply unsexy thing you could ever think of. And that's drainage. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, it's true. <laughs> like, like Marley Park, Longitude, um, uh, Festival Republic and, and MCD before them have to put on do a lot to to that site in terms of drainage to fix yeah. it Body and Soul have since done that as far as I know so it's just something that you have to do in order to continue uh, your festival especially if we learn anything from Fire Festival is that you have to be prepared for the rain you know <laughs> logistical don't conditions don't leave your mattresses out aside. in yes, the exactly. rain <laughs> yes <laughs> but look another major thing happened over the weekend uh, I sadly stayed up to watch some of it it was the Super Bowl weekend and uh, enough of, I don't even want to go into the uh, game itself, which was one who of the Who were the teams that were playing? Uh, the Patriots and the Rams. Okay, and who who were you up pa- for? I wasn't up for anybody. I was okay. just up. <laughs> <laughs> I was just there. I was just You were just there it. for the sports. Yeah, um, I was. But like, you know, it's, a, it's unfortunate because it was a year where... There was a lot of talk in advance about the halftime show and how they really couldn't get anyone. Yeah. And so, step up Adam Levine <laughs> and his band of Maroon 5 Merry Men. Thank um, God. And with a cast of shoehorned guests, including Big Boy and Travis Scott, um, it was really genuinely one of the worst, one of the, one of the blandest um, I don't worse is like you know it has its merits if you like that kind of music and I don't but like it wasn't even a good show it was just felt like it, it didn't like feel like it matched the spectacle in the same way as like like Lady Gaga throwing herself off a building yeah. or Beyonce um, doing amazing things and doing formation for the yeah. first time or Prince uh, just like showing genuine musicianship yeah um, and it didn't have any it didn't really have any impact it was just like Big Boy and Travis Scott were like uh, put in as this kind of mega mix yeah on the live performance and then it was all back to the Maroon 5 songs which were pretty painful and um yeah, the best tweet I saw about it was Maroon 5 out of 10. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of where it was I, at. I'm not even sure if I would go a 5 out of 10. Yeah, it was it was a deeply bland performance. It yeah. was it wasn't even good for Maroon 5. Like Maroon 5 played some songs that I kind of like. I think Harder to Breathe is a bit of a jam. I moves like Jagger is obviously a jam. But for me Adam Levine just looked really vacant and overwhelmed and 
they didn't do their press conference in advance and it was kind of like I don't know if that was like because they were spooked or whatever well I, th- I think it was because they were being called out so this this year the the reason why a lot of people a lot of kind of famous people boycotted the Super Bowl was because of the NFL's treatment of um Colin Kaepernick who um was a quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers <laughs> I sound like I know what I'm talking about there um but he he, he was the guy who took the knee, it, it took a knee during, uh, instead of standing during the national anthem at NFL games and was, you know, dropped from his team and hasn't played since. And when you say took the knee there, I was like, I just kept thinking like, of communion. Uh, like, or, he took the bread. Or Skyrim, <laughs> he took an arrow to the knee. Um, but yeah, so a, a lot of artists, a lot of kind of public figures were saying, you know, I'm I'm not... Yeah, they I'm weren't going to watch it. At this. Yeah, or, or no, I'm not performing. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to attend Somebody it. Somebody like LeBron James yeah. even didn't engage with it. Um, yeah, there was talks that Cardi B was asked to perform and she said no because of the NFL's treatment of of um, kind of black players in general and how the, the NFL are, the NFL are kind of this spooky presence in America where they're sort of, like the Super Bowl itself is nearly this space in which like white American capitalism is at its most heightened. I think it's this incredibly kind of, it's, it's an incredible example of what the mainstream is and how going against it is, I think the only way in which you have anything that's kind of worthwhile, if that makes sense. You saw in uh, the MIA documentary uh, a few months ago, how the extreme reaction to her, yeah, given the finger during the Madonna performance uh, in that year was such a contentious issue and how they tried to sue her over it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's heavily curated and controlled and anything that kind of goes against it is like, it's it's not, it doesn't only get that backlash from the NFL um, in terms of, you know, an agent of the NFL coming into MIA's uh, dressing room afterwards and saying we need to talk about this and her literally running out of the building <laughs> and getting out of there which is incredible but it's also a backlash from the the people who watch the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl is curated for white America it's it's like if if you look at like it's the it, even so it's it, it's got this weird thing where everybody stays stays up now to like there's the game itself there's the halftime show and then there's the ads and it's like this celebration of advertising and capitalism. And it just creates this extremely homogenous white American ideal that if you go against it, it's, you know, it, well, it's Beyonce doing formation at the Super Bowl in 2016, which got a massive, massive backlash from people. Like when when you compare this year's, halftime performance to Beyonce doing formation at the same uh, uh, for the first time and dropping lemonade like the safety was on this year and I think that that's such an indicator of where America is right now like just playing like the the Super Bowl halftime performance is a political act no matter what you do like if if you don't address anything you're I I, I think you're kind of being complicit in a, an act and a show that is celebrating and going along with norms and cultures that if not challenged are potentially dangerous especially in Trump's America 
And if you go against it, then you're, you know, you're making a political act, you're Beyonce, you're whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, yeah. I think, yeah, well, you're definitely right in terms of there was no, uh, not much chance of anything happening this year. No. Even though, you know, I mean, it was a very bland white rock act or pop act uh, playing Mm. uh, the stage, but it was like Big Boy and Travis Scott didn't have even enough time to make a huge impression well they did it in I their feel small like they were ways. just dropped in and then pulled oh yeah back it was out. totally like that yeah. um but like how does it compare then in in like is it because of the issue around like the, the nfl keep talking about social justice and this mm. is their new thing as, as a way of like addressing the problem that they have and uh but then there's a lot of players um who are still protesting um mm. this kind of treatment so and then people like Trump have obviously talked about it and given out about it. So putting a pop spectacle in the middle of that mm. is a potentially dangerous thing. And especially if you have performers like MIA who um, will be prone to doing stuff like that. Yeah. Or Beyonce who made a, a much bigger statement in that way. Yeah. Uh, because she was Beyonce, was she allowed to do it? Is that literally where we're at? Like, I mean... yeah. Jay-Z is obviously rapped about how he wasn't, um, he didn't need the Super Bowl and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's an interesting thing to ponder about the Super Bowl, like what it is, and and it is such a spectacle now. Um, on a purely musical level, what's been interesting is that they chose a very bland, um, there was no, was there any women on stage this year? There was the gospel choir gospel who came choir, out, for yes, one, yes. Who, who were brilliant, yeah. um, but that's it. Yeah. Uh, but the best performers in the last few years have been... Have been women. Have been Beyonce, Gaga, and uh, Katy Perry even was like an amazing... Yeah, like, that, that was it was a good to look at show, yeah. definitely. But like the Super Bowl halftime performance, it, it's always a weird thing. I'm, I, I'm fascinated by it because of its... Because of the strange space that it occupies where it's, it's entirely about money. Like it's so the the halftime show, like the the 2016 halftime show was the third highest, uh, had the third highest audience in US television history. Like that's insane. It had 111.9 million viewers and numbers for this year are, are over 100 million viewers. That's insane. Like the, and for, for that, amount of viewership obviously you have a lot of kind of you have a lot of responsibility to your advertisers and you have a lot of responsibility to your sponsors like you've got like Chevrolet you've got Coca-Cola you've got McDonald's who are spending millions and millions and millions of dollars look like vying for a spot during that time and if you've got 110 million people watching something you don't want to do anything that's going to anger your sponsors that's going to anger coca-cola or whoever and so when beyonce does something like what she did in 2016 it was a a complete kind of it, it, it was protest music at its kind of in in its purest form because it's happening within this space where it's it's curated to squash those voices. And it's bizarre to me how anyone signed off on Beyonce's performance in 2016. Yeah. Like, did they not know what the costumes were gonna be? Like, had they not heard the song? And it's 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 kind of but that, it wouldn't was surprise that me if the, they didn't. The, 
the Black Lives Matter uh, movement no, moved so into it, the Super Bowl? So it was... Or moved into NFL? It ha- it, so Black Lives Matter had sort of... K- so it, it was before the Kaepernick kind of controversy, yeah. controversy, which happened later in the year, but after Black Lives Matter... Um, so Black Lives Matter really came to a fore in 2015, um, actually around the time... Um, of Kendrick Lamar's Grammy performance when he did Blackard Berry and it was a really kind of racially heightened performance in this like again very white space very kind of heavily curated heavily corporate kind of space um so then when Beyonce kind of subverted that narrative at the Super Bowl it was just you know protest it was Malcolm X it was the Black Panthers it was Black Lives Matter it was like protest in the face and space of white corporate America and because of that it was you know captivating like brilliant and explosive and then when you when you compare that with what happened this year I just think that it's such a it really is just such a sign of the times now that like it's it it's beyond me how they thought that Maroon Five would give anything but just the bare minimum. Like we need a guy to just come out here and sing these songs, and that in itself is, I think, a political act. I think that that's saying we care more about our sponsors and we care more about making money here and we care more about not offending anybody and. We're going to just stick super ultra PC here, um, like PC in the way that they, inverted commas, kind of use that that phrase. And we're going to play it super, super safe. And I'm very disappointed that Maroon 5 went along with that. Like they were called out beforehand by various people um, who said, you know, you need to do something at the halftime show. You need you, you need to like get down on one knee. You need to make some kind of a statement. And then Adam Levine and his band refused to do the uh, pre-show kind of press conference and uh, gave an exclusive interview to, I think, E! News or no, Entertainment Tonight and said, oh, well, we want to just speak through the music. And what, what's that music moves like Jagger? Yeah. Like, is that the message that you have is, for is America right now? They were there. Like that's yeah. why they were there. Cause it's like, you know, they're a safe pair of hands who won't yeah. cause any disruption. Yeah. And won't cause anybody any consternation and don't have any political will like based on their records or, yeah. or anything they've said before. Yeah. Or Adam Levine, anyway, the singer has said before, who knows what the rest of the band think. Yeah. But they went along with it anyway. But, but it's like, just, it's, it's a shame that when, when you have, like, this is, this is the audience. If you, as a musician, if you as an artist have anything to say at all, this is the time to say it. Do you, you think... Everybody is watching you. Do you think it devalues uh, Maroon 5 as an act in general or just shows you what kind of level they're actually at? I think... I think as artists, I don't have a whole lot of, I, I, I didn't see anything that was artistic on that stage for it. Like, to be honest, I didn't, I didn't see anything that was new. I didn't see anything that was innovative and I didn't see anything that was worthy of the audience that, it, that they were given. Um, he took his top off though. He took <laughs> his top off though. <laughs> yeah. We were allowed to see his nipples and we weren't allowed to see Janet Jackson's nipples. That was another yeah. thing that came out of it. It was just, it was a really disappointing, um, yet unsurprising 
uh, microcosm of what Trump's America is now, which is that everybody's playing it far too safe and let's just get the white guys to not offend anybody. Well, there you go. <laughs> Happy Super Bowl. Let's hope something interesting happens at the Grammys, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of the Grammys, um, something interesting that possibly interesting we know is happening is that uh, Dua Lipa and St. Vincent are performing together. I don't know what that means, but... Um, I feel bo- like it'll be great. Both of them are nominated for awards. Uh, St. Vincent for uh, her Mass Seduction uh, album and uh, Best Alternative Rock album. And uh, Dua Lipa is nominated for Best New Artist. So they're both... I feel like she's together. been around for ages, but the Grammys is always kind of at yeah. the tail end oh, yeah. of a lot of they're, stuff. They're, so. they're like, they're the old white guys in the, in the music room. For, for sure. sure, yeah. Like, yeah. But that's what they've always done with the Grammys, isn't it? They've always put uh, like... It's like they have to cram as many people as possible onto a stage. Yeah. It's like somebody wants to do it this year. Yeah. And then they try and find places to go for uh, a place for them on the stage. Um, Lady Gaga is doing it for the fifth time in a row mm. um, with Mark Ronson. Uh, there will be performances from Travis Scott, uh, Katy Perry. Uh, Katy Perry? Yeah, apparently. Um, oh, sorry. Katy Perry, Little Big Town, who are a Grammy favourite because no one ever hears them outside of the US. Uh, <laughs> Maren Morris and Casey Musgraves will collaboratively pay tribute to Dolly Parton. Oh. Um, so that'll be something. Oh. Um, a living a living legend. Yeah. Why um, can't Dolly do it? <laughs> well, maybe she will. <laughs> yeah, just get her to do maybe it. Maybe she will. Uh, Ariana Grande was slated to sing at the ceremony, but she's pulled out of the show following a disagreement with producers and will not be in attendance. Oh. So interested to find out what that's about. Mm. Um, but that's the Grammys that's happening on Sunday, hope hosted by Alicia Keys. Probably fair to say a safe pair of hands as well. Yeah. Um, but look, the Grammys is um is, a, is exists in its own world. It's a parallel universe. It doesn't really have any um uh, effect on what happens in music really it's it's, it's sort a, it's of it's an award ceremony in the traditional sense it, yeah it, it, you, it's backslapping and and it doesn't have it's not gonna it'd be interesting if there is any political statements or anything about that yeah like the the, the thing about the grammys is that it it sort of exists in the same place as the super bowl halftime show where it's you know it's heavily corporate and heavily sponsored and very very safe and white and Thus, the most captivating performances are always those that kind of challenge the space in which they're performing. So I hope to see something this year that even just recognizes that the world is on fire. Like was Kendrick last year? Kendrick was 2015 when he did, well, when he did that particular form, performance that I was kind of talking about. Oh, the, was 2015. The America, was yeah, which yeah. is like if if our listeners, like if you haven't watched that, it's one of the most... Um, af- affecting kind of performances I've ever seen. Um, I wrote my master's thesis about it. <laughs> so she, yes, Dre actually did say that she wrote her thesis. Yeah, it, so. I wrote my thesis about that performance. Hit her up if you want to hear it. Yeah, yeah, if you want to yeah, read, it. read it. For sure. You know where I'm at. <laughs> but uh, um, Yeah, last year was, was not great. Like no. Sting and Shaggy performed. It was oh, like... Jesus Christ. <laughs> I almost forgot they had made an album together. We should try to go to the Grammys some year. Yes, let's. Let's go to the Grammys <laughs> next year. Let's go. Let's yeah. host the Grammys next year. That would be great. Great. 
<laughs> the Oscars is not going to have a host either this year, so uh, you never know. You're going to get a chance to do have it. Have they not been responding to our maybe, emails? Maybe Adam Levine will do it. Maybe he'll do it. Uh, yeah, safe pair of hands. Mm. Um, but yeah, moving on, I, we mentioned Dua Lipa there. Um, she has been on Twitter uh, this week calling out toxic ass behavior on the platform. You go, girl. Um, she says uh, she's been seeing a lot of things on her timeline uh, about women and wrinkles and all sorts of stuff. But I think it's a general, really, um, commentary on stan culture and the idea and the toxic behavior that happens on platforms like that Mm -hmm. nowadays and how, so what did she say? Um, she kicked off her Sunday morning last week by (laughs) urging fans to take some time to say or do something nice, uh, adding that they should mute or follow anyone who makes them feel uncomfortable. I'm not sure I totally agree with that because... This is all basic self-care, Yeah, to but, be honest. you know, I mean, do what, do what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, oh, I if anybody makes me feel uncomfortable, they get muted. Yeah. You should see my mute list on Twitter. Good Lord. <laughs> Just unfollow them. Oh, you mean if you're not following, they get into your timeline. Yeah, right. yeah. Um... She just says, I hope everyone engaging in this toxic ass behavior stays plump as fuck for the rest of their lives because reality is going to bite you in the arse. Uh, Too much hate in one place. We love to preach about feminism and sisterhood, but it seems like it's all for the clout. Take some time uh, to say and do something nice. I don't know how how fair that is. What she does go on to say is, I just want to make sure that you guys know that none of this is online craziness means anything. Never let anyone's stupid opinions define how you feel about yourself, which is fair enough. Mm-hmm. And any tweets that trigger you or make you feel uncomfortable, mute or unfollow with absolutely no fucks given. <laughs> yeah, fair. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I wouldn't, can't even imagine what it'd be like to be somebody like that in a massive public eye with a, with a huge following and, People probably tweet. It is very hard for horrible us. things. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> people Tweeting like myself and Julie for yes, you know, you know, they they hate. They yeah, hate. Uh, but yeah, it is a. It can be a very toxic um, atmosphere, and uh, certainly Twitter. Um, it can be a horrible place for yeah. certain things. I think we're lucky enough in terms of like I am have been over the years. There's not a lot of negativity around new music, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not a very divisive subject. Yeah, other than the odd uh, Twitter troll here and there, mm. um, but generally quite fine. Yeah. Um, so, I I keep my um, Twitter lists and follows uh, pretty curated in terms of my interests. I think I have a really good guideline in me that i should write someday about curating the perfect twitter timeline for yourself because it's it's taken me a few years but (laughs) i see very very little on twitter that makes me angry because those people just don't make it into my timeline anymore so right well that's it um uh we'll be back sometime soon with an andrea's guide to uh your andrea cleary's guide to twitter (laughs) (laughs) self-care when a special episode in the next few weeks (laughs) um but we'll move on to tracks of the week Uh, this week uh we're going to start with a track from lizzo um (gasps) a artist who we featured uh, on the podcast with her song boys she has a new album out in april called called Cause I love you. Uh, so her new single is called Juice. I'm not the baddest bitch. 
song is called Juice uh, from her forthcoming album. She's an artist been around for a long, long time and uh, slowly been um, getting to the point where she is considered a breakout artist. And I think it sounds like this album might be the one to do it. She had Boys last year, which was an ode to Prince. Um, she's actually from Minneapolis as well. Uh, and this song uh, is just uh, an absolute jam. It's such a banger. Um. I wanted to, I, I mean, it came out a few weeks ago, but it's kind of one of those ones that I didn't really uh, engage with at the time. I heard it once and then I went back, but then I saw her perform it on, uh, she did her debut, debut TV performance on The Ellen Show. Oh my God, it was so good. Tell, tell the people why it was so good. It was so good because in in typical Ellen fashion, you know, it's all very upbeat and dancey and she comes down the stairs and then she gets on the stage and she's with her dancers and the moves on this lady are just unbelievable. And you're so into it and you're bopping along and then all of a sudden she whips out a flute and then just starts playing the flute. Like I shrieked. I was honestly <laughs> so shocked that a flute had been introduced to this performance. It's just such utter joy. I encourage everybody to go and seek out the the performance of Lizzo and Ellen because very impressive, very so impressive. Good. Not only was she singing and dancing, and uh, as the YouTube comments make clear, had great breath, breath control. control. <laughs> yeah, I saw that as well. Like, oh my god, the breath control! They must but have she all just been whips out a singing flute teachers. Yeah, whips out a flute, which. You know, you need very good breath control for the flute. Uh, <laughs> unbelievable. And then she was really good on Fallon as well, which yeah. is the one you sent so me it was today. Only, it was only your second ever TV performance. Yeah. I'm very surprised by that. Because in my head, she's been around for years and like uh, on the periphery, but definitely mm. feels like, okay, this is an artist stepping up. Into... Yeah, like her, her debut album was 2013. Yeah. Like she's been around a while. Uh, Batches and Cookies was the song I remember that she released at that time, which was great crack. Mm. Um, and the flute thing is just gas it's yeah. just so good and then uh, the song is really good as well yeah Juice. it's great and, uh, she's you know, super charming as well yeah, yeah. she's just great yeah. I, I I find her really kind of captivating I'd watch her dance all day she's just unbelievable yeah she's got a lot of sass she's very cool yeah um, that is Lizzo the song is called Juice we're going to move on to the Chemical Brothers now they have a new song out called uh, Got to Keep On
So that is the flavor of the new song from the Chemical Brothers, a an act who have been around for so long that you could be you could easily take them for granted. And I think probably um, a lot of people do really. Um, you know, if you think about where they started and like nineteen ninety four or something, um, they're still going and they're still doing it and they're still putting on. Um, my friend was telling me about um their three arena show earlier mm. last year um late last year and the incredible visuals that they have they've always excelled at um those big live events and last time i saw them was at longitude maybe three years ago and it was similar vibe then um mm. uh, their music that they've released in the last six seven years maybe has never really felt like the kind of stuff that does that works beyond uh, their live show? Okay. Um, and certainly, there's a couple of songs uh, that they release for this. Is this will be their ninth album called No Geography? That's amazing. Um, that and they have not. There hasn't been a lot of music they've released recently that really like. I used to love the Chemical Brothers back in the day, like the likes of Surrender in the first three albums, especially. Mm. Then they kind of lost their way a little bit. Um, they had they took on a lot of guests and uh, I think they were trying to do a bit of a crossover thing and it worked for a while. I really like, liked the um, the Hannah soundtrack. That yeah, did. I don't even know if I've heard that actually. It's really really good. Okay, good. Um, um, but that's uh, of that era from kind of two thousand seven. We are the night onwards. That's kind of the only thing that really grabbed me. I did like a lot of the album. Um, from 2015 which is Born in the Echoes so there was really good songs in that um, St. Vincent was on that mm. um, Beck Wide Open really great track um, I actually don't think I sat with that album at all no but yeah I don't, I don't think I gave it a full song. listen um, I'll, um, and I like the Annie Clark one it's it's a nice track um, but I really do like uh, there's a couple of really good songs on that album actually I must revisit it mm. uh, the albums before that I really struggled with they um Swoon was a big track for them actually. Uh, from that is from Further, which was 2010 actually. So that was they've kind of been a bit quiet in a way. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's been they're still going though. They have definitely released a lot of good songs. Though. I think it was the the album in 20, 2007 where they really like dipped. That was We Are the Night. Mm. Um, and Push the Button was before that was when they had a lot of guests, the likes of Q-Tip with Galvanize, which was a big song for them. And then um, a few other tracks on that that didn't quite work as well. But it's interesting to hear them come back in this way. Uh, what I'm interested about this song is that it sounds much cleaner uh, for the chemical brothers than you would expect. Yeah. Uh, in a similar way that, uh, like, different parallels, but like, and they haven't been around as long, but the way that Disclosure released these very nice uh, songs that harked back to, like, their early material. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the chemical brothers is, are not har harking back to their old material because their old material uh, was had a lot of Dark acid, as hell. acid and, yeah. like, uh, you know, um, elemental dance music in it. And this seems actually the opposite. It's quite safe in a way, but mm. I kind of like it as well. I'd be interested to see how this works in the album. Although I have to say the couple of songs I've heard so far, they do sound exactly like the kind of songs that work live. Mm. Um, but, you know, you got to give the Chemical Brothers props in a way, because if you look at their peers from when they appeared in the first place, the likes of Orbital, who have released some really dodgy music mm. when they returned. The Prodigy, who have just completely... Yeah. You wouldn't even go near a Prodigy song these days. Yeah. They're like, uh, uh, you know, a rabid dog on the street. You wouldn't even go near it. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I think the last music they released was about two years ago, and it was some of the worst. They had a couple of songs last year with that band, uh, Horror. 
Oh, they did. Yeah, yeah. Not, not a good, good look. No, uh, not good. Yeah, um, I think this um, this Chemical Brothers track is interesting, but because of the reason you you say like it, it is really safe, but it's not quite safe for them. It's I, I haven't heard a song in a while that's made me want to go to a club, and this one does. So that's that's good. That's kind of a that's a good thing. They make good dance music, but this is kind of I feel like this is dance music by numbers. It's a bit safe. Um, toward like about three quarters through it you do get this kind of like big wall of sound that they're kind of known for and I kind of I thought that there was going to be a bit of a moment there where things change up a little bit or you get a bit more of that kind of older maybe slightly darker more acidy kind of early Chemical Brothers stuff but then it just kind of dropped back into the safe beat and Mm. you know that's fine um it's absolutely fine. I I can't like as as a dance track. I can't really fault it. It, it yeah. works fine. But as a Chemical Brothers track, it's you know it's I, I wouldn't be rushing to go and listen to it over sure. you know some of my faves from the early days. A, a video drop for that song actually uh, directed by Michelle and Olivier Gondry. I think is that his son? Uh, perhaps yeah. his son. Uh, uh, but that's uh, obviously they've been they've worked back together before mm. uh, in a lot of ways. So that's cool. Um, I don't know. Yes, uh, oh, I love brother. Their, sorry, um, brother. Oh. Uh, brother of uh, Michelle Gondry. Um, interestingly, to note that there are no guests on the upcoming album, so they maybe learned their lesson in that way. So that could be interesting. You yeah. know, I, I remember my brother making me stay up late years ago and not letting me go to bed until I finished watching the live in Tokyo DVD and he was like no stay awake stay awake stay awake y'all watch this bit watch this bit and like I was obviously completely blown away by it but it was like four in the morning <laughs> I was like I have to go to bed uh, so I must I must revisit that this that's kind of reminded me about that but I've it's unbelievable very good it's excellent so we move on to our uh, third track of the week it is from uh, the Dublin artist Sole and the song is called Low Tonight Sole, the song is called uh, Love Tonight, uh, featuring a uh, guest uh, verse from C. Kane, which you didn't hear on that, uh, but uh, it does feature later in the song. Um, I like Sole generally, but I feel I'm not a big fan of this song. Maybe it's not for me. It does feel like it's maybe aimed towards the... Uh, Spotify playlists as opposed to anything else. It feels like it's very it's very sh- shiny and very nice. Um or maybe I just don't like the song as much. Um I don't know. Um I generally like her vibe and uh but the song hasn't grabbed me an awful lot. 
Yeah, I think um, I think that's probably a fair assessment of this of the song. I think it, as as a pop track, it works. It's catchy, kind of. It ticks a lot of boxes, but it's not um, it's not quite the song that I wanted when I saw like oh this new solo track like you know it's it's it not kind of quite puts what it I was in expecting. a crowded market in a mm. way when you when you pitch yourself in those like a, a larger pop sphere sometimes you can uh, it's not a bad track by any stretch of the imagination it's just um it fits so comfortably into the sound of uh new music friday and the likes of it that it kind of maybe can get a bit lost sure um and i think that's you know it's it's, it's something that's interesting in terms of the new irish r&b pop music that's kind of breaking out of Ireland at the moment a lot of it spearheaded by Diffusion Lab which this is who I'm a fan of um, and we played Jafaris last week mm-hmm. but I think there's you know I think it's a lot about identity as well and, and showing being able to work uh your identity into a song like that is really tough when you're a new artist mm. and I don't think I really get a lot of um the Sole vibe um herself here and I think that's probably where it falls down for me a little bit. I don't really feel like I'm, I feel like I'm, it's Sole singing a, a track, a pop track that is maybe co-produced or co-written with other people, but it doesn't really have enough of her DNA in it. I completely agree. Those are my exact thoughts. <laughs> I have nothing to add to that. That's that, what you were going to say, exactly. Those are literally my exact thoughts. Um, yeah. Listener. I know. We had the same ideas. Oh my gosh. We don't even have to repeat it. <laughs> but yeah, look, I'm, I'm interested to hear what she has coming up, of course. Um, I think she's a great performer mm. and... I think of all of the acts at the moment, uh, it's an interesting time for those Irish acts. We have Erica Cody dropping a new track today, um, which is a really nice vibe. But like again, uh, as much as I like it, what I, what I'm saying is, uh, when you put yourself in the same field as other acts in that thing, you really have to nail it mm. for people to really care. And it's a tough one. It's a tough yeah. one. I'm not saying the songs are bad in any way. I'm just yeah, saying. like there's nothing wrong with this song. I think it just happens to sound like a lot of other good music that's out there. Yeah, and it's not. There's nothing really that individual that sets it apart from, like you said, the new Music Friday playlists and the kind of, a, a lot of the, this sort of vibe that's coming out of the UK as well at the moment. It's a nice bop. Yeah. 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 No, it's fine. Yeah, it, sure. it is. It is. It's a nice bop. It's just not, you know, yeah, it didn't grab me. Okay. I guess. So our final song for Tracks of the Week is... Um, I'm biased because I'm a big fan of Bibio and he released a new song today, so it's an excuse for me to play it. <laughs> it is called Curls and it sounds like this. To see within is to feel without a light. Who'd have thought that we break the things we like? To find a stone just to bounce across a pond. It's the path that makes there's a clue. To 
That is Bibio. Uh, song is called Curls. Um, presumably, that means that he will have a new album coming soon. If you don't know Bibio, uh, he is Stephen Wilkinson. He's been releasing music on Warp for a long, long time. Started with a lot more like uh, beat productions and stuff like that, and has developed into this kind of softer. Um, more gentle, uh, almost pastoral uh, sphere here and there. Um, he has released some of my favorite albums in the last uh ten years, perhaps. Um, so I don't know him at all, and I've I've had a little a little goo at the Wikipedia page, and he has like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine albums. Yeah. So, so where where would you start? Because uh, I really like this song. My favorite. Well, if you like this stuff, I would go to 2016's uh, "A Mineral Love," which okay. is full of music like this, and it's so so well done. Though you know, it's like it's such a it's a hard thing to do to to make this kind of pastoral music, but not to make it sound like it's just cheesy or uh, a bit too. Uh, lightweight but he's such a good producer he puts a lot of um, imagination into it mm-hmm. there's also a couple of actually uh, there's a lot of those songs on it but there's also a few like almost funk jams on it and okay. they're great they're okay. great um, really really good um, uh, Why So Serious is this song on it it's like just like it came from the 80s you're like where did this come from <laughs> so good and he's done that a lot um, he has a song called K for Kelson which if I was to pick and a song to wake up to I would pick that one every day because it's just like a really bright, almost like, it's just totally happy, positive song. Yeah. And you're like, wow, cool. I wake up to this every Is day. Is this guy your, your Sufyan? <laughs> Not quite, but okay. um, I wouldn't be down for everything he releases, but mm. I'm a big fan of what he does and I think he's very underrated also one thing that uh, feeds into that is he he doesn't really do gigs so it's really just his recorded output so when it comes out it's just like this is what you get that's so funny because when I was listening to the song I was like oh I bet this would be lovely in like a little church or something yeah maybe I don't you know one of those really intimate little gigs um, and then I would the other album I would recommend is Ambivalence Avenue which is uh, 2019 and that's kind of a mix of some of this kind of stuff and then the more beat productions and uh, kind of almost like Jay Dilla. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really good. Um, yeah, but I don't think he's ever done a live gig. I could be wrong on that. I feel like I am. But he certainly doesn't do them often. Um, yes, he's played live before. Um, it's kind of like... Never the, in Ireland, I don't think. The um, frustrating thing about being a, a really big fan of Boards of Canada is just like you've absolutely no chance of ever seeing any of that music live. Yeah, <laughs> there's exactly. so There's some artists like that where you're just like, oh. oh. He did play a UMAC show in the Button Factory uh, oh. a few years ago. Um, 2015, 2017 maybe? Missed that one. Must have been away. <laughs> oh, well. Um, yeah, I think I remember that now. I couldn't make it. I think Solar Bears or something played that night as well. 2000, 2009, actually. That's a long time ago. Mm. Um, that was uh, part of the Deaf Festival. Um, I always say Deaf Festival, but the F stands for festival. So I'm just repeating myself it's the dublin electronic arts festival 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 i keep saying um but no no yeah yeah. it's the festival for dublin electronic arts festivals yeah (laughs) i just love his music and i think um if you haven't heard him this was basically an opportunity for me to uh, parachute his music and very gently into your ears Um, (laughs) this is totally right up my street and yeah. i'm very very much looking forward to yeah deep he, diving he's released a couple of albums recently called phantom brickworks which are kind of like more ambient uh, uh compositions and stuff like that um gotcha was actually on uh, the album uh, a mineral love as well 
uh, and really great album. Definitely check that one out. Uh, Silver Wilkins- Wilkinson is another one as well. So anything, any, pretty much anything from uh, 2009 onwards. I'm not actually totally familiar with his early stuff, but I must go and listen it to it. It seemed he was with Mush Records for the first three records right. and he went to Warp Maybe in that's 2009. Why. So, I have not heard yeah. it. Um, very good. But it's all up on uh, streaming platforms and, and services for you to listen to. So I recommend that you do. That was Baby O. That are our tracks of the week this week. We will move on. This is our album of the week. Woo. And it comes from Beirut and it is, is called Gallipoli. And this is the title track from it. That is the title track from Beirut's fifth album, Gallipoli, and it is the fifth album from Zach Condon. Um, I guess many people would know Zach Condon from his uh, first two albums in particular uh, that it caused a bit of a splash. Certainly one of the first uh, acts who uh, benefited from, in my head, from blog buzz back in the day mm-hmm. um, was an act who all the uh, American blogs were talking about at the time. Released an album in 2006 called uh, Gulag Orchestra. Uh, inspired by Balkan folk music and then went on to release uh, The Flying Cub Cup a kind of uh, a French tinged uh, album in 2009 I believe um, and then has released two albums since then uh, Flying Cub Cup in 2007 actually uh, four year break then and we had uh, a couple of EPs and stuff in between uh, album called The Riptide in 2011 and No 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 in 2015 and here we are in 2018, 2019 sorry, uh, with Gallipoli his mm-hmm fifth album um so i'm gathering by the smile on your face you're a fan of zach condon i am yeah i'm a really big fan of this project generally like the only album that kind of lost me was no 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 but i think it's because i didn't spend enough time with it maybe um but huge huge fan of of those first three records and it's it's just really nice that i'm i'm getting from this record everything that I loved about Beirut when I first discovered the project, you know, it's like, it's just, it makes me want to go on a holiday. (laughs) It makes me remember things that never happened. It's just got this beautiful heightened nostalgia, like tint to its sound that makes me feel like I'm looking through old photographs that don't exist. (laughs) You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a bizarre feeling listening to Beirut, I think. 
So one of the reasons why you might enjoy this as much as you like the first two is because he has returned to the organ that he yeah. used to write those first two albums, the Farfisa organ, um, mm. and it was recorded in New York and Berlin, uh, where he now lives, and uh, also recorded in southern Italy. Um, he has been an artist who, who is uh, an American Santa Fe artist who grew up in Virginia, who has often taken inspiration from um, music cultures around the world, uh, specifically like the Balkans and France and some um, kind of South American stuff as well. Um, yeah, it's it seems to be a return to his kind of, uh, that kind of style, I think, yeah. with certainly in terms of the arrangements and, uh, you know, a time when a ukulele wasn't something that somebody would bash you over the head with if you if you turned up with it. Yeah, he just um, about gets away with just it, about. doesn't he? Like... <laughs> Um, I have been living with this album for the last week and uh, I have found it very hard to penetrate in terms of uh, it hasn't stayed with me enough a lot, even though I've listened to it a fair amount of times. I kind of feel like some of that is down to when you go back and compare with the first album, Gulag Orchestra, um, it, it, it is so stark, the difference, because the production it's kind of sharp and there's a lot of the the brass. It sounds like it was recorded in a room and uh, the mics were far away kind of thing. Where a lot of the production on this is uh, so polished and so nice that um, sometimes I feel like the arrangements uh, uh, kind of suffer a little bit and the songs suffer because... It kind of, it's the same idea we've been talking about a bit in terms of like recently with Maggie Rogers and even with Soleil there. When you put a sheen and a shine on your music, um, it sometimes puts it in a different place away from what attracts, uh, what has attracted you to that artist's music in the first place. So it has a polish that sounds a lot more like everything else. So therefore it, it stands out less. Now there's a lot of brass on this album, which is nice. And there's a lot of... Um, very evocative uh, melodies and stuff like that um one thing that i found that uh zach connor has never been great at is uh first of all pronouncing his words i've no <laughs> idea what he's saying half the time yeah um but also he has admitted he doesn't like writing lyrics and he yeah. records them in private um i've been struggling a little bit with this album i really wanted to like it a lot but i just haven't really clicked with it i think there is definitely some songs uh, from the halfway point onwards that the album opens up for me um i like there's some nice instrumentals from uh, the second half of the track six uh gows for that um it opens up into a new, really nice instrumental passages and then kind of gets away from the beirut template per se and then there's the corfu which is a really bright and breezy instrumental which it has a kind of different style for him almost like a calypso kind of uh, tropicalia flavor to it mm -hmm. uh, and then landslide is a song which i really enjoyed on this album which kind of does both at the same time and then uh family curse which follows that has a lighter kind of laid back touch it has like a bit of a drum machine beat and it kind of rises and falls in a really nice way um but other than that i've been struggling with this album a bit it's all very nice and I've put it on and I've enjoyed it in the background, but not in the same way that I would. I can't see myself going back to this an awful lot. Mm. Yeah, I think I think those are kind of fair. Don't leave the room. Criticisms <laughs> of it. No, I mean, I it's it's far from being perfect. Um, I I think I just sort of I connect with parts of this album that remind me of earlier times and better times when it comes to Beirut. So. 
I'm not sure if if my if if how open I am to this album is just me kind of sighing and saying, oh, thank God, it's you know we're we're returning here. We haven't f- fully gotten back there. Um, I I think you're completely right about the production. I think that's so, some of the some of the I I think it works really really well on tracks like Corfu and on some of the in- instrumental tracks. Um, like a a very clean production really heightens the the instrumentation, the musicality of it, um, because he's re- he's really making some quite complex and accomplished arrangements at times on this, especially with those kind of brass sections and bringing the organ in. I wish there was more organ. Um, the, the organ was teased a lot in, in the run up to it. Like the story about this organ was in his parents' house in Santa Fe and he just had to, you know, ship it out to him and he had to write this album on the organ. And I wish it was kind of based a lot more around that. Um, but I'm I'm happy that the the brass is there, but yeah I I agree that there's some some songs like the when I die which is the opening track um, which is one of my favorites on the album I think that it would do well to have a bit more or a bit less of a kind of a polished vibe not quite a postcards from Italy very far away basement sounding um, DIY thing but um, a bit of the album could do it being roughed up a little bit. Um, but overall, it's I'm I found a lot of it really quite captivating and quite interesting to listen to. Um, I think that the lyrics are, you know, the lyrics are the lyrics. They're they're lofty and they're all in kind of very, very far away metaphors that I find it really hard to connect with, but I don't I, I don't think I ever really listen to Beirut for the lyrics, you know? Yeah. Um I I think at its at its I hate using this phrase, but I guess at its worst, it's like the music of Beirut can feel like uh, you know, wallpaper in term tourism wallpaper almost. Mm, and sure. at, at its best it can really feel like it's uh, breathing life into uh older music, which is something I really enjoy. Mm. Um with this, you know, I don't think there's anything on this that really is going to last as long as okay, you mentioned postcards from Italy, but then songs from the other albums, uh, especially the second album, which was an album I ever thought was really, really yeah. uh better maybe than the first album in terms of overall a Sunday Smile, uh Nance and Scenic World. Uh, yeah. uh, I think Nance is, is my favorite. Like that the the Flying Club Cup is an incredibly accomplished album like it's yeah. so itself there's nothing else really like it and he hasn't really gotten back to this yeah saying it's like it's seeing that it's recorded in a few different places you don't really sense that uh, some of that has really bled as much into the music as maybe say that album for example very mm. much uh, an album uh, inspired by france and french melodies yeah um i don't really feel the same way about that uh, about this one uh, I think it lacks. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not a big fan of the title track. The more I listen to it, I'm just like it's, it's Beirut by numbers. And at this point, I'm like it's not enough for me. Um, mm. there, I'd like to hear. I would have loved a big song on this to really lift up the album. Mm. Um, maybe in the middle or three or four songs in. Um, but I just don't get that here. Mm. I I often think about like a song. There was a song from his uh, EP March of the Zapotec called uh, Venice which is one of the most beautiful songs I think he's ever done. And it was stark and different because it was uh, using a different instrumentation. It's kind of like this electronic um, 
piano kind of like with but kind of with effects on it mm-hmm. and it's just really beautiful very stark and a lovely track and i don't think there's enough of that contrast here um there is obviously like i mentioned there's parts of this where the instrumentals um are to the fore and they really feel like you're getting a breather from the brass and um condon the singing in a way that you don't really understand and yeah. um that's kind of his being his default mode in many ways um yeah i think some years. of the best moments on this album are those kind of very textured atmospheric moments where you get to breathe and you get to kind of just enjoy him as an arranger and less as a lyricist and a singer like i i love the sound of his voice i think he's got a really really beautiful voice um and i don't i i did find myself on a couple of tracks just thinking kind of okay you're not really doing a whole lot with a vocal melody here um maybe a little bit of space here might be good but um on other tracks i I could I could hear a real development in his voice and a, a a confidence that I don't think was there on those first few records. Sure. Um, and I think that's probably partly down to the production as well and that kind of glean that it has now. I'm not as disappointed that this is a um a very clean cut and shiny album as I was with say even like Maggie Rogers or a few others um, like that, where I I don't really feel like a whole lot is lost here because it's hard to talk about Beirut and kind of authenticity because, you know, he's, he's, he's essentially appropriating. Well, this is something I was going to ask you, you know? actually. Um, you know, I mean, that the idea of cultural appropriation didn't really exist in the in the discourse when he mm. first released his albums. Mm. So if he had appeared now, like there's a couple of other bands that are like him. Yeah, well, like, I mean, you've got Hawk and Weekend as well. And, yeah, and um, th- but those acts came up at this time when, yeah. it, I mean, Vampire Weekend was kind of cresting at the same time as some of their charges of appropriation were starting to appear sure. around their music. Yeah. Um, but it'd be interesting to just, like, do you think it's cool that a, a guy from Santa Fe is like mining from different cultures and it's grand? Yeah. So, like, it's just something to explore, I guess. Yeah. It's ask. obviously like a really big question. Like, so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm so aware of cultural appropriation when it's being called out and when I see it in, 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 um, in media and especially in music. But, you know, my fa- one of, I think probably my favorite album of all time is Graceland by Paul Simon, which is, you know, a heavily appropriative album. Um, and I think that I, what, what I love about Beirut is what I love about Graceland, which is that it, it takes, it takes melodies and it takes kind of interesting rhythms, but it, it doesn't it doesn't take them verbatim, you know, it, it kind of, it molds them. Like they're, they're there to underlie, um, the music that he is writing. So I don't think, I don't know, like if the Flying Club Cuff came out now and I'm looking at, you know, you know, these place names and you're like, okay, well you, you, you're not from there. You didn't live there. But that means like, like, you know, uh, American boy went on European yeah, holiday yeah, and came back with loads of music that he liked. Sure. And I don't think that there's anything 
you know I don't I'd, have a, yeah I don't have a problem with um, people being inspired by music from different parts of the world but it's how you do it I guess and I don't think yeah. I don't think he generally is appropriating because I you know he does a love of it but what I am interested in in saying like does he ever collaborate with artists who make this kind of music or is it because it's mm. by the nature of Balkan folk and that kind of stuff older uh, music it doesn't really exist in the yeah. same way. So I guess that's that's where the Paul Simon comparison ends, right? Because Paul yeah. Simon obviously worked with um with m- musicians from the places that he was, yeah, you know, going Soweto. to. But I think with with Zach, it's more that like I think he gets away with it because he's not really singing about these places. He's singing about these idealized, weirdly historicized romantic ideas of what these places are he's singing about like the platonic france which doesn't exist but does exist in art and does exist in music and culture and all those things so i think that he's he gets away with it because he's sort of he's he's pointing to something that's other he's pointing to what <laughs> to kind of I don't know I was about to bring up Derrida no <laughs> but like to kind of <laughs> he's he's singing about what the idea of these places is and not the actual places themselves and because that idea is romantic and because that idea exists elsewhere in culture already I think he's more appropriating other art than appropriating culture if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, I think that's fair. And I think to say he's he's a culturally appropriating feels like approaching too much of a PC thing. Where sure, like, I mean... Art can art, I feel very strongly that art should be able to be inspired by other cultures. It's how music works. Totally. It, it is how music moves around the world. Mm. Um, and especially in the modern um, world where you can hear anything at any time. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, it was just a question of engagement, really. It's a case of like, and you make a good case for for why it's okay for him. I just guess I was wondering if it's like where Damon Albarn goes and does his Africa Express stuff mm. and where he, he works with musicians in the area. Yeah. Um, is, first of all, are there people making music like this? Second of all, is he just inspired by old gramophone records or the idea of of that kind of like those faraway places and those mm. kind of things and the there's definitely more uh titles on this uh like uh Gallipoli itself and Corfu and uh, uh on Menu Island that kind of mm. suggests that he is still enthralled by that idea of that other space to escape to yeah um, and, and I, I think, think that it feels kind of fair enough yeah and I think that like as as an artist like I think m- music is one of the one of the most kind of appropriate ways or one of the easiest ways in which to engage in cultural exchange. So if you go somewhere, it's like if you go on a holiday to West Africa and you see like a drumming circle or something and it's something you've never experienced before, you can you can still understand it as being music and you still you can still engage with it, not on the same level as, you know, people whose music you're watching. But it's music is a way of communicating that doesn't that transcends language that transcends borders. You know, it it transcends all of these things because you can teach somebody a scale in a different kind of in in a different musical um, a difficult mu- a different musical system. You can just communicate that way, and I think that when we 
when we sort of draw a lot of lines and say, well, this is appropriation. And there are things that are appropriation. Don't get me wrong. Like Katy Perry should not be, you know, wearing grills and getting her hair braided. But I think that Zach Condon, you know, writing about an idealized version of Nance is, you know, it's, those are very, very different things. Um, and I, I'd be wary of throwing, I'm also aware that I'm a really big fan of Zach Condon and I might be coming across as just a fangirl, um, you know, allowing this white boy with a ukulele to get away with stuff that I wouldn't let other people. So I'm open to that as well. No, I think, I think you've made a good case for that. I think it's, what I, I think just the only thing that slightly irks me is that um well maybe his his influences are less obvious than they used to be but mm. um certainly that kind of Balkan brass sound is still there a bit and, yeah uh, I just wonder you know I just wonder if there is an engagement on some level with uh, artists from that um if there is a scene if there if mm. he, he credits stuff like that um i'd have to look back on it so i'm kind of spitballing here really but um no that's it's an interesting point though because i think that people can um so people can push aside accusations of appropriation by saying well i worked with the musicians so and it's it's a and it's probably the best way to do it so yeah Um, well let's play a bit from uh landslide from the beirut album gallipoli That is Beirut, and the song is called Landslide. Um, yeah, um, I think in the... How do you think that album stacks up in terms of his discography then? Hmm, I think it's... it's Well, like, like I said earlier, I didn't... I didn't... Inc- oh, don't mind that. Like he, I said earlier... <laughs> um, so I didn't really engage too much with No, 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 which came out in 2015, so I can't speak to it too much, but I'm I'm happy with the direction that it's going. I'm happy that it's um that that which I enjoy in, you know, Beirut as as a project is still present. Um I, I there's probably two songs on it that I will keep with me. Um but that's probably what you get from most albums these days anyway you know um well we hope for more than that yeah but it's it's um it's hard to connect with as a it's very far away from being anything like a concept album it's no. it's hard to find a a thread that binds it um that isn't 
instrumentation yeah uh, which is fine um because you know the the lyrics aren't very foregrounded but yeah it's it's no it's no flying club cup um it's no riptide but it's good i would say it's a very pleasant album and it's certainly one you could stick on in the background if that's not an offensive statement to mm. say um i don't think there's anything wrong with there being like with that being yeah a good thing like I, I think that's that's a fine thing you know? okay um well there you go <laughs> a very inoffensive album to put on in the background <laughs> yeah. if that's what you feel um so that's my album landslide um that's nearly it for us this week um yeah. i haven't i've been i haven't been listening or watching anything because i was djing most of the weekend i was playing on friday and saturday and hanged out in big romance had a great time in big romance oh yeah uh, one of the best uh, nice bars i've djed in in a long long time was that the vinyl only yeah both nights were yeah. vinyl only had a hanged out on friday and then um uh, saturday was the big romance with cormac uh my friend who djed with me it was a lot of fun and wow. it was a really nice bar it's a real like new york dive kind of buzz to it yeah like a pint and a shot yeah there's just loads of people who were really interested in the music and standing around and a bit of dancing and stuff as well so it was really nice Lovely. and uh, obviously we finished early went to see uh, a DJ called Young Marco who I really like um, and didn't regret it he is plays a lot of weird stuff which I love um, okay he like he can go from housey kind of music to disco to like oddball like rock tunes to um all sorts of stuff but it's all uh it's all very odd uh, i love it i think he's uh, a bit of a uh, a genius in his own way not a genius she's the wrong word but like <laughs> he's a he's a polymath in that way that like a lot of djs i find play it very straight and mm. uh, don't like play around with melody much and he plays with all of his the low end the high end the mid-range uh, all that kind of stuff he uh like there's definitely like there's a song where he was playing it was like this is a rock like instrumental and then he finished with uh some kind of he plays the song called uh deo which is like a, a an edit that he made of a a tune uh, a cover a Dutch cover, he's he's Dutch himself, of a, a the Banana Boat song. Oh, okay. And it's deadly. I love it. And a lot, lots of people probably hate it. I love it. Um, and I really enjoyed it. He played it. Um, I actually played it earlier that night. And it was I wasn't going to go to the gig. And I was like, why am I going to this? And then I played it. And I was like, somebody came up to me and they were like, we're going to go now. Because I told I told this girl about uh, who it was. And he was like, yeah, he's playing on the road. And so I was like, oh, we better go. We better just go. <laughs> so I'm really glad I did. He finished with like a 10 minute jazz uh, workout. Uh, and then he played... A cover of I think it was it like Joy Division or New Order, but like a a Euro cheesy pop version of it. This guy sounds like my kind of DJ. It was very good. I love a DJ that can throw a curveball. He, in. he just and if you watch his Deck Mantel uh, video of Boiler Room from uh, a couple of years ago, he just smokes for the entire hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. But I like what I like about him is he takes chances. He's been taking chances for years before anyone really knew who he was. He was clearing dance floors before anyone knew who he was. Mm. So, built a reputation for himself. He's the kind of DJ that would play Last Christmas in the middle of July, you know, right. which he has done because I saw him talk about that recently uh, last year. He was like, it's a good song. Why can't I play it in the summer? It was like, yeah, fair enough. Uh, so I was into that. What about yourself? What have you been up to? Well, actually, speaking of song, uh, Christmas songs that you can listen to all around, um, I've been kind of deep diving back into Joni Mitchell over the past week um, and River is obviously a Christmas song but I've listened to it the other day and I was like wow it's you know early February and the song is absolutely fine to listen to. Um, in particular I I just for some reason was like I haven't listened to 
both sides now. I haven't listened to that album in a really long time and I put it on and it always kind of su- surprises me or kind of knocks me when I listen to her kind of how, how her voice has changed from those early albums to like the alto that she became like she sounds on both sides now she sounds like Nina Simone and she went from this like mezzo soprano in, in her early career so I've been really enjoying listening to songs that like both sides now which was on clouds which was I think her second record um and then on that record as well just hearing how different the arrangement is and um a case of you is another track as well. So I've just been instead of listening to albums like one at a time, I've been kind of going song by song, just jumping back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I might make some kind of playlist out of it because it's um it's really really fun. And like Joni Mitchell is just it's I I think like what you said about the Chemical Brothers because there's such a familiarity there. It's easy to take her for granted, but like she's probably the best lyricist of all time. And I forgot that for a few years and I'm being reminded of it now. Um, and having a really, really good time listening to her again. Great. Nice. Um, did you read the Sally Rooney book? Uh, I haven't read the new, the second oh, the new one, one okay. since. No, I haven't really been reading an awful lot other than the New Yorkers, um, which I, I'm just always reading. Yeah. Um, but that's about it really. Uh, I haven't been doing much else. Just been enjoying myself, listening and, uh, to stuff and chilling out uh, a lot. I haven't been reading. I've been, I, I'm still reading the uh, Inner City Grime book. And I've oh, also yeah. been listening to actually the audio book of Down and Out in Paris and London by George Orwell which is an interesting listen or read again uh, so far away from when it was made because it's like poverty tourism <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, and it was at the time but the first time I read it I didn't even realise that's what it was but um, yeah really interesting uh, still to to engage with and uh, um, yeah I'm really enjoying it um, I forgot that I'm reading this book um, you're holding the book up yeah for, for I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at forgetting um like names of authors of books that I'm reading. So I finished the Carrie Brownstein book. It was amazing. Really, really recommend it. This is called The First Collection of Criticism by a Living Female Rock Critic. And it's by a critic called Jessica Hopper. Oh, yes. We know um, Jessica Hopper. It's just, it's basically just, you know, her a collection of some of her, you know, best essays and, and criticism. And like some of it's just so flooring and... Not in a way, sometimes when I read really, really good music criticism, I'm like, well, that's, I'm never writing again. That's it. I'll never make a point as well as that. But I I think there's something so encouraging in her work. And um, she's got such a brilliant, unique feminist voice that is just, it's just really, really empowering. And I'm like there's there's some essays in it that I've gone back and read like it's taken me ages to read it because I've been reading things like three times like, like I'd finish it and I'd be like oh my god I have to read that again that was amazing um so I'm just devouring eating this up uh, at the moment and yeah really enjoying it it's excellent lovely um we were we'll be back next week we'll be chatting to Owen French from Talos who has a second album yeah. uh, called Fire Out Dust out this Friday um, so we'll be chatting to him I think uh, Luke had a chat with him for the podcast we're so going to see him on Saturday probably I next week be. yes might drop in to that have a look I'm going to see White Denim on Sunday as well I hope okay. um, so that'll be fun um, in the meantime actually as a quick plug we announced a gig today as part of Music Town something we've been working on for a while it is a 
all ages, 14 plus all ages, that count as all ages? In, in our head it does, Nearly right? all ages. Um, we're doing a daytime gig on Record Store Day, April 13th. <clears throat> it's this year and uh, myself and Seven Quarters, Barry Lennon, are putting on a gig called Dublin The Sound featuring um, a daytime lineup from Pill Queens, Squarehead, God Knows, um, who we'll hear from in a second, and uh, Tebby Rex as well. As well as that, uh, if you buy a ticket, um, the 12 euro ticket for the gig, uh, you will receive a 12 inch vinyl featuring a track from each of the acts playing. Um, kindly put together with us from uh, Dublin Vinyl, the pressing plant based in Dublin now. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. It went, it's been announced today. I've I've been wondering about all ages gigs for a while. Wanted to do something in, in that vein. So finally getting the opportunity to do something. It'll be daytime on that day. Tickets are available now. It's on dublinissound.eventbrite.com So do have a look at that if that interests you. Or indeed if you know anyone under the age of 18 or over 14 that might be interested in that. Um, definitely do because it's very rare I think you get to see those kind of bands um, if you're that age so yeah I totally those four all bands, ages gigs are really interesting I yeah think, as a thing yeah usually there's they're just you know yeah there's not enough of them um, and there's certainly not enough of them in Dublin and mm. so really happy to be doing that as part of Music Town so that's it. Um, I guess if you like what you hear, um, do check back on our other podcast. Um, we've been running this for over a year as a restarted podcast on the 909 podcast. Um, also, if you do like what you hear, another way of supporting us is telling your friends. And if you like us even more than that, you can also support our Patreon, uh, which helps us support our writers and presenters necessarily. Hey, so yeah. thanks so much. Um, we are on Patreon. You can check that out on patreon.com forward slash 909. Going to leave you with a song from Sim Simma Sound System. Uh, Sim Simma are a dance hall. You nailed that. Sim Simma Sound System. That was <laughs> yes, great. Yes, I did. I didn't realize that was coming. Um, <laughs> they're a dance hall and uh, rap and grime uh, night that's been running in Dublin for a number of years who are now getting into the uh, label game and also a uh, release game because they have an EP out right now featuring uh, the likes of... Um, uh, Denise Chala and uh, God Knows um, the Rosangano Family Associated Acts uh, and the EP is really really good there's five tracks on it very very different vibe um, and there's lots of guests and you should definitely check it out going to leave you with a song from them uh, from the Sim Simba Sound System past the Oxcord EP it is called Man Like Me featuring Denise Chala and God Knows and we'll be back next week bye Man Like Man like me, you ain't never seen a man like me. Big girl team, make a little man cry. Chewy man like gum when he's got no teeth. Said man like me, man like me, you ain't never seen a man like me. Big girl team, make a little man cry. Chewy man like gum when he's got no teeth. You ain't got no teeth. You ain't got no teeth. All bark, no bite. You ain't got no teeth. You ain't got no teeth. All bark, no bite. You ain't got no teeth. You ain't got no teeth. All bark, no bite. You ain't got no teeth. You ain't got no teeth. They are man chat saying that I gotta stay in the kitchen but can't step up to the plate. That's what it takes to eradicate your masculinity. You didn't have much anyway. Gonna crawl to my goals if you're shooting for my kneecaps. Dreams got me covered like a kneecap. Got my own lane and I'm sticking around like a prefab. Trust me, fam. Yeah, man, dead. Give life to the garbage excuse, man, a trash, but it's bare. Bare compost when bare man post. I know sexism, sexism don't know you I know classism, classism don't know you I know racism, racism don't know you
Big up all the girl them in here They never tear another girl down in here If they don't put some respect on your name You have the right to go mad in here Big up all the man them in here Eyes wide open and wear in here Even with the waistman cloud in the air There's too many man on my team to get like me Man like me You ain't never seen a man like me Big girl ting make a little man cry to a man like gum when he's got no teeth Said man like me, man like me You ain't never seen a man like me Big girl ting make a little man cry to a man like gum when he's got no teeth You ain't got no teeth You ain't got no teeth All but no bite, you ain't got no teeth You ain't got no teeth All but no bite, you ain't got no teeth No teeth All but no bite, you ain't got no teeth Let me tell you about something that irks me Work the same hours but you still won't pay me Say what you want but that could never sway me You ain't got the answers, still can't sway me When challenge man freeze like Jimmy When challenge man freeze like Swayze Drives me crazy, say you are the done Let's go against the system, you ghost like Swayze Don't talk about you wanna murk me Then turn around and say you wanna murk me I'm out here going for a mercury Give me space cause I'm chasing galaxies Wear my hair like a rasta Eat my relish with sada Lusaka to chicken kata This Adna crush on Wakanda Say man like me, man like me You ain't never seen a man like me Big girl ting make a little man cry to a man like gum when he's got no teeth Said man like me, man like me You ain't never seen a man like me Big girl ting make a little man cry to a man like gum when he's got no teeth You ain't got no teeth You ain't got no teeth All about no bite, you ain't got no teeth. You ain't got no teeth. All about no bite, you ain't got no teeth. You ain't got no teeth. All about no bite, you ain't got no teeth. You ain't got no teeth. Big up all the girl them in here. They never tear another girl down in here. If they don't put some respect on your name, you have the right to go mad in here. Big up all the man them in here. Eyes wide open and wearing here. Even with the waistman cloud in the air, there's too many man on my team to get like me. Man like me, you ain't never seen a man like me. Big girl ting, make a little man cry to a man like gum when he's got no teeth. Said man like me, man like me, you ain't never seen a man like me. Big girl ting, make a little man cry to a man like gum when he's got no teeth. You ain't got no teeth. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.